Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. To be given the honor. Thank you, Pastor Demi. Thank you to all our associate pastors. Um, let's say a prayer. Quick prayer. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Um, thank you, Lord, for your presence in our midst tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, give us understanding as we study the scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have quite a long road ahead of us tonight. So let's just dive in. So our topic is, of course, romance, the believer's roadmap to victory over the flesh. And last week we concluded on chapter five and we're about to dive into Romans six, right? And in summary, I'm just going to go over um, a summary of uh, chapter five. And that was just um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, after proving that all men are guilty of sin, incapable of earning salvation on their own terms. Um, the Apostle Paul explains how faith, not works, um, is the means by which God declares us righteous. Right. So Romans five contains um, a powerful, joyful revelation of all that comes with um, being justified um, being justified in God's eyes, right, um, through our faith in Christ. We have peace with God. We stand in God's grace. We have hope for eternal glory. We have meaning in our current suffering. God has proven his love for us, right, in the death of Christ for our sin while we were still sinners. And Adam introduced sin and death to the world, and they continue, but Christ died for our sins, right, released God's grace to all who believe. Now we come to chapter six, which is where we will be majoring tonight. I'm sharing my screen and I want to believe that everyone can see me. If you can see me, please say so in the chat room. And if you can't see me, please also say so in the chat room. Um, so as I was saying, the next chapter, chapter six, which is where we're on tonight, begins by um, addressing a common misconception about salvation by grace through faith. Now, because this, this particular Bible study is a verse by verse approach, that's why I'm sharing my screen, because we literally will be looking at it verse by verse. We will be going through it as technically um, as we possibly can. So Romans um, 6, 1 opens with a question. It says, what shall we say then? Um, what shall we say? So there's emphasis on the word say, that is, what is to be our response? How are we going to respond? What are we, how are we going to act or how are we going to react based on the knowledge which we have received? Remember in chapter five, um, regarding faith, regarding righteousness, and not just chapter five, actually, from Romans one to four, Paul, Apostle Paul has been building this thing. So how are we going to act? So he asked this question, what shall we say um, to the knowledge which we have received? And then he introduces the hypothetical um, um, answer or the response that he thinks uh, people are going to give, which is, are we to continue um, in sin, right, that grace may abound? And continuing in sin there 
um, it has a connotation. So we can just draw a quick line and just add that text there. To continue in sin, what does that mean? It means to go on sinning. It means to dwell inside something. To continue in something, it means to go on in it. It means to dwell in it. It means to persist in it. So this is not um, this is not hypothetical. It's it's a lifestyle. It's it's habitual. It's instinctual. It's deliberate, right? It's not accidental. So so that's what it means to continue in sin. And in Romans five um, twenty, if we just go to Romans five twenty really quickly here, we will see that Paul had introduced this idea that um, people or or okay, so he introduced this idea that um, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So he's now wondering if people will take um, this idea that if where sin increased, so I'm just going to highlight that where sin increased, it says grace abounded all the more. So Paul is is wondering if people are going to take that idea there and just say that this means that we can continue right in sin so so that's what he's he's drawing at and then he's saying does this mean that we can then say that um it doesn't matter if a christian lives a life of sin because god will always overcome greater sin with greater grace and interestingly a popular peddler of this notion was rasputin who was a russian monk um, a self-proclaimed um, prophet and healer in the 20th century who would encourage his followers to um, participate in things like sexual orgies adultery and all sorts of lustful events he would tell them that you know the guilt that you feel afterwards will draw you closer to god so it was a drug the more you sin the more forgiveness you will receive and that's what he told his followers and funny enough this might sound ridiculous to us today because we have revelation but from time immemorial people have always believed that fear was the guide of faith and that threats were required to stay on the path of obedience because there must be something hanging over your head for god to attend to you it had to be transactional and that transaction had to be based on fear so people are generally afraid of hell and that's why they serve god right or uh, they don't want to lose the money in their in their account that's why they pay they pay some of the money to church via a tithe um, and it's the reason why we tell children, I'll beat you if you don't keep quiet versus keeping quiet is the right thing to do because we don't want to disturb others. So the notion behind Paul's question here is that if we tell people that God saves, God accepts them in spite of their works and that their position in Christ is secured, then there's no motive for obedience. There's no motive for holy living. And the other side of that question is that sinning should be acceptable because we are helping god's grace right if god loves sinners why should we worry about sin if god gives grace to sinners let's sin more so we can receive more grace so some people think it's their job to sin and it's god's job to forgive so they will do their job and god will do his job and paul knows that there are people who think like this that's why he poses this question that's why he poses this question because people will think okay sinning is furthering god's grace let me do that and immediately he answers, he answers that question. He says, by no means, by no means, which is of course not, of course not. You know, the KJV, says, <laughs> the KJV actually says, God forbid. That's what the KJV says. That's how strongly the KJV um, does not agree with it. It's like, God forbid, 
God forbid. It's like tufiakwa, a war. You know, that's that it's an abomination. It's a lot of magic. It's not it's not going to be me. A lifestyle of sin is an unacceptable um, um response <laughs> to God's grace because you are not Satan, you are not the tools that God should be using to further his grace. That's that's just it. You are not a tool to help God increase his grace upon the earth. You are a recipient of God's grace. So it's a demonic level of wisdom to break a leg that's already healed so you can receive pain medicine a second time. Imagine Lazarus kept hanging by his grave when after Jesus resurrected him. He's like, I want to die again so I can go back and Jesus can bring me back. Or I'll kill myself. I'll fall sick and die again so Jesus can raise me again. It's absurd. It's demonic. It's illogical. So Paul says, how can we who died to sin, right, still live in it, right? So a death has happened. A death has happened here. And then you're looking for life where death has happened. It's, it's absurd. So it's like when the angels told the woman, the tomb is empty. Whose body are you looking for? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? The building has been demolished. Why are you hanging around it? Why are you trying to live there? So there's that dichotomy there. That, yes, the two spot is taken, sir. Um, so there's that dichotomy there between live in and died to. So to live in something, right, is to persist in it. It's similar to continuing. So it's like, you want to persist in something. If you live in something, it means you find joy in it. You find life in it. You allow something to be your source of nourishment. You allow it to be your vigor. You, 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 you find your worth in that thing. You have become efficient in that thing. You habitually breathe it in and out. You enjoy it as a daily activity. That's what it means to live in something. Okay. So if you apply that to sin, it means that's what you're doing. You're living in sin. But if let's look at the phrase um, died to sin in more uh, in closer proximity, according to Ephesians 2, 1, it says we were dead in sin. Right. It says the, the scripture says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you can't ever live in sin. Whatever you think you found there is death. And the reason is that sin. Excuse me. So sin here has only two types of relationships, right? There are only two types of relationships that you can possibly have to sin. It's either you are dead in sin or you are dead to sin. You can't live in sin. The only thing sin knows is death. Is so you, you can't say live in sin. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a contradictory terms, an oxymoron of sorts. You are dead in sin or you are dead to sin. So to be dead in sin means that its wages are coming, which is death, because you are inside that thing. So you will receive its wages. To be dead to sin, it means you want to go back. Sorry, sorry. To be dead to sin means that sin no longer recognizes you and you are free from its curse. So if you want to go back and quote and unquote live in sin, it means it's you who is recognizing sin. Because if you are dead to sin, remember, that's what the Apostle Paul says. It says, how can we who died to sin still live in it, right? So if you want to go back and live in sin, it means you want to re-recognize sin again. It is you who is recognizing sin. It is you who is trying to go back to the former things which have passed away, right? You are righteous. You have a new identity. So you can't be trying to live in sin. You can't be trying to recognize that which you are dead to or that which is dead to you, okay? So sin is like an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you've broken up with. 
It's like food that you don't like that someone is coming to give you. If you don't like Amala and someone is trying to feed you Amala, you're like, ew, what's this? I don't know. I don't recognize this thing. It looks disgusting. Sorry, miss me with it. I don't need it. You are a new person. Don't respond to the old buttons. If you've broken up with somebody, <laughs> if you've broken up with someone, then you've broken up with them. And of course, they'll come and look for you. They know how they know the cloth that they will wear that you like because they remember, they know all of the things about you that you that you like, quote unquote. So they can come with that temptation. But you are a new person. So you don't respond to the old buttons. You don't say, ah, you, ah you've caught me. Let's go. You say, my decision is final. I've broken up with you. I'm not changing my mind. You don't have the authority to force me to do anything. Okay. So let's move on to 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 verse three our time is we're running out of time already um so apostle paul says do you not know so let's 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 take a look at that word again do you not know no that and he repeats the words no you see throughout this particular um, um um chapter because remember my people perish for lack of knowledge and if, a, if if satan can keep a christian ignorant he can keep him impotent he can keep him without um fruit okay and the basic truth that paul is is teaching us as he emphasizes on knowing is the believer's identification with christ in death burial and resurrection and that's what we're about to see in this chapter so Paul is explaining to us in verse three, the concept of being dead to sin using the illustration of, of baptism. So he says, do you not know mm, that all of us who have been baptized right into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life so there's so much there to unpack right we were let's examine all of these um important keywords so first of all we have baptized and baptism is to immerse someone into something right it's it's to overwhelm a person with a thing in this case jesus christ's death right so you immerse them you soak them in you dip them deeply into it right so that's what baptism means and funny enough the greek um word for baptism has two basic meanings right it it's either you dip or immerse and then it also refers to it, it has a figurative meaning which is to be identified with and that's really what um applies here so I was reading through the commentaries and the commentary says baptism is externa ansa Christi. It's a Latin. Just hold on. I will I will explain. <laughs> so baptism is externa ansa Christi, which refers to identification. Baptism is the external handle of Christ. Baptism is the means by which Christ lays hold to men and men offer themselves to christ so think to access the contents of a pot you you need to lay hold of that pot you need to grab the pot by its handles right it's not the best analogy but that's akin to what baptism is it is a form a means of identification so spiritually when you identify with christ when you accept christ you are identifying with what what happened with him on the cross so you are identifying with his what his death here and his resurrection here. And 
remember, by identification, you were buried with him. And just as he was raised, you were raised with him. And scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. So if you identify with sin, you receive its wages. If you identify with Christ, you receive his gifts. Christ does not pay wages because wages are a form of reward. It's not about what you worked for, right? It's about identification. You receive a gift for identification. So, and, and something interesting is that Nigerian politicians really understand this. You see, once they do all the work to gain the identity, they know they don't need to work. Once they've done everything they know they need to gain the identity of a politician, they know they don't need to do any more work because Nigeria is going to give them parting gifts whether they work or not. Their reward is not based on the work. It is based on identification because that's what the constitution says. The constitution does not say a senator that builds 10 schools in their community. It says a lawfully elected senator will receive XYZ amount as allowance per annum or per month. So if secular people understand the concept of identification and are manipulating it to their benefit and to the injustice of the entire nation, how much more we who understand our divine identity and spiritual constitution? If you have identified with him, enjoy his benefits. You do not need to go back so that you can sin again, so that grace can abound. Don't let the flesh manipulate you into working for that which will be freely given to you. Grace is freely given to those who are dead to sin. So you don't need to live in sin to receive extra grace. You have received what? The ability to walk in newness of life. So when scripture says you were raised, believe it. You were brought out of death and condemnation. You were lifted up. You were delivered. You were redeemed. You were resurrected just as Jesus was. You partook of that moment so that you may walk. Remember, walking is what? Continuous action. That is what we mentioned here. Continuing. It's not stagnant. It's an ongoing movement. In. Walk in. Inside. That is, you're boxed in. You're soaked in. Just as you were dead in sin. Now you walk in newness of life your feet are locked on a new path and this path is newness of life newness of life is the state of life which the holy spirit placed you upon identification with christ so once you were raised you access newness of life newness original life tear rubber life brand new life fresh as they say during covid time unprecedented type of life all for you. Life, abundance, that is access to God himself, a, a, a new type of being, a new type of consciousness, a new type of vitality, energy, excitement. You have received this newness of life. It's major. Remember, out of the heart flows the issues of life. You now have a new life. Beautiful things will be flowing from this. The path you must walk on must be new. Everything must be new, new principles. You must choose new leaders to walk after, new companions to walk with. So affirm that with me, that I am raised to walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. I am raised to walk in newness of life. Let's just say that in the group chat. I am raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. And just let's quickly move as well to, to the meat of our work this evening. Romans 6, 5. Apostle Paul continues explaining the concept of being dead to sin, right? By 
continuing on from his analogy with baptism now to an analogy of unity so let's read let's read that together it says for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly we shall certainly certainly be united with him in a resurrection hallelujah like his hmm. and so we see another parallel here it says we have been versus we shall be and when it comes to death or resurrection that parallel is always there so we have been versus we shall be remember when it comes to death and resurrection there's a parallel there are two parallel things that can happen to us is we have been and we shall be now let's take a closer look at the word unity united what does it mean to be united with christ um unity expresses a close union right so in the kjv it says planted together and in the greek it, it begins to talk of being born together of joint origin it's, it's really really beautiful being born together of joint origin you know you are implanted by birth by nature you are grown together you are united with him hallelujah you are a kindred spirit with the one you are united um to okay so we have this relationship of unity with christ in two things in death remember and in resurrection okay so one has happened it says have been and one is yet to come which is we shall be but both experiences are promised and you know just as with baptism our participation in the former makes certain please mute Okay. our participation in the former uh, makes certain our participation in in the one to come so the crucified life is a preparation for the resurrected life remember the crucified life that is participating in the death is a preparation for what the resurrected life and remember all this that paul is saying is still to explain verse two which is the answer to the question in verse one so now let's move let's move to romans um six six to seven and it says it says we know again so remember we saw um that word no previously we're seeing it here again we know that our old self was what crucified remember i talked about being crucified as a preparation for the, the life of resurrection and we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be what brought to nothing so that we would no longer no longer be enslaved to sin right it says for one who has died hallelujah has been set free from sin amen so let's look again at all of these keywords and phrases so we see again we know remember this is something you can't afford to be ignorant about your old self has been crucified it's an established fact an established fact once you identified with christ it happened your old self is that rebel whose ancestor is adam as we saw in chapter five who is being controlled by sin who could not be reformed but had to be put to death and remember i talked about 
crucifixion, being crucified with him. Crucifixion is not an easy death. It has to be the worst kind of death. It has to be the murderous kind, the kind where every part feels pain, the kind that can completely destroy the body. What body? The body of sin. And the body of sin is an interesting concept because the body of sin actually refers to that jar housing the rebellion, that container of your old self, right? That dominator that caused you to serve a master whose only reward is separation, decay, and death. And what would be interesting is if you study, uh, you can further study the parallel here between the body of sin and the body of Christ. And all that we know, literally every single thing that we know about the body of Christ, the opposite is the body of sin. Anyone yoked to the body of sin has Satan as their head and they receive instructions from him to further his kingdom of darkness. And that's why the old self, this one here, had to be crucified. So that the body of sin, which was which it was a part of. So you can just draw a link between the old self and the body of sin, right? They were connected to one another. So this old self had to be crucified so that this body of sin might be what? Might be brought or reduced to nothing might be reduced to nothing. That is reduced to dust, made ashes, made obsolete, brought to nothing as in to strip it completely of its authority and its power so that who, so that we, we being mankind, you and I would no longer, not even for a second. So immediately their time was up. Immediately their time was up. Immediately you identify with Christ. It's time up for the body of sin. No longer can we be enslaved. That is, we can't be bound. We can't be chained. We can't be lacking freedom. And that word is also very interesting because scripture speaks of all who continue in sin as being enslaved, which means that they're doing so against their will. And yet we know that many, many people willingly, intentionally commit sin. People plan murder. People plan affairs, revenge, theft. People sometimes for years they've been planning. But scripture is saying that's not their true will. They were enslaved by the body of sin. Nobody yoked to the body of sin is there because they truly want to be. Even if they say so with their own mouths, what has happened is a perversion of the free will God has given them by the head of the body of sin that they identified with. Remember, the head of the body of sin is Satan. And the prodigal son said, I want to leave. But by the time he got to his destination, he realized that this is not what I truly wanted. He found himself enslaved. And he was thinking, how do I get out of it? But the minute he realized, oh, I can identify as something else. Let me identify as a servant in my father's house. He, he started saying, okay, there's a way out of this. So by identification with Christ, you identify with the head of a new body. Okay. And we come to verse seven. It says, the one who has died has been set free from sin. So it's only the one who has died to sin that can be released from it. Our enslavement to the body of sin can only be broken by death. So you know how in the Fast and Furious series, you see like people get blown up. Like we saw the, the Asian guy Han, we saw him get blown up in Tokyo Drift, only for them to explain in F9 that uh, dying was the only way he could be free from those that were chasing him. Mr. Nobody set it up. And if you don't know that one, in many action series, people fake their death to get away from the bad guys. That's the same thing here. Death is the only type of finality that the body of sin understands because death, are, is, that's the wages. The wages of sin is death. So the only thing that the body of sin understands is 
the wages, which is death. That's his reward. If it was just exhaustion or sickness, the body of sin will keep using you. It will not cut you off. There are many sick and exhausted people in the body of sin. The prodigal son was exhausted, but he was still there. He had to eat with the swine. Sin will keep you there until you die. It will keep you there as part of its decaying body until you receive its wages, which is death. Even during the slave trade, think, slaves worked until they died, not until they were sick or they were exhausted. They worked until they died. So we had to die. We really had to die to sin. For sin to no longer be able to find us, our death had to be visible, as visible as Jesus' death is on the cross. We couldn't die in secret, though. We couldn't die quietly. It had to be a visible, loud, dramatic type of death. So that the body of sin can know for certain, ah, this one, this one, I have resigned. I have shocked law. So they have, we have to be cut off completely from the body of sin. Hallelujah. And it's a painful cutting off. It's a very painful cutting off. Right? Because, sorry. Please, if you're unmuted, please, un, um, please mute yourself. Okay. And it's a painful cutting off. It's a painful cutting off for the body of sin. And it's a painful cutting off for you. Because death is painful. But at the same time, at the same time, secretly, as if without knowing, you are being grafted into the body of Christ. And we'll see that. Remember, I talked about being planted together here, united with him. Remember that as well. So you're planted together. You, re you become of joint origin with another person. And then that person gives you life so that you may be reborn. And that's how you went from being enslaved excuse me sorry so that's how you went from being enslaved to being set free hallelujah so let's don't just don't worry about it. okay um team, please can you help me mute whoever is unmuted can't seem to find them okay so that's how you went from being enslaved to being set free okay so sin has now become a stranger to you sin and its head the body of sin and its head no longer have any authority over you and the side question here now is if all of this has happened why do i still feel those old impulses and this is this question is actually answered in chapter seven but i will leave you with two words muscle memory we're not going to get to chapter seven tonight but muscle memory is, is the answer to that question why you still feel those old impulses um, so let's move. Romans 6, 8 to 11. God give us time. <laughs> um, so the Apostle Paul is now reaching the final part of his illustration using the parallel of death and resurrection, unity, baptism, and all of this and its effect on sin, right? To answer again, remember the statement made in verse 2, which is his answer to the question raised in verse 1. So. This is where we are now. This is where we are now. 8 to 11. Hallelujah. Um, so let's go. It says, now, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know. So you see that word there again? No. He's reminding us of the tenets of our faith. Um, we believe, we know, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer, we saw no longer earlier, has dominion over him. 
for this is the important part the death he died consider that the death he died he died to sin once for all and then we see the life he lives he lives to god okay so your knowledge again of all of these important principles it should produce belief in you about the promises to come and those promises should keep you from saying you want to go and sin so that great god's grace will abound because we know one thing christ will not die again for sin so if you're saying you want to go back and sin so that christ will not die for the sin so that you not receive god's grace you're already making a very very wrong theological mistake christ will never die again for sin so if we are sinning after receiving grace, it is akin to crucifying Christ again, trampling afoot his works. It's illogical. Because why? Death no longer has dominion. Remember, death no longer has dominion over Christ at all. There's no, there's just no way. Death has no dominion over him. Death cannot overpower Jesus again. Even when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus still died again. But when Jesus was resurrected, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he ascended to heaven with that body. He is not dying again. Glory to God. Death can never rule over him. Death cannot take him a second time. So you cannot sin that grace me about. The reason being that the death that he died, the kind of death that he went through was not only the physical death of crucifixion. He also died to sin. But the death he died, he died to sin. He underwent a separation from God. He, he experienced or he, he received a death that paid the wages of all sin for all eternity. Okay. So Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, he also died unto sin. He himself died unto sin and we died with him okay and this he did once for all everybody everybody one time for everybody okay two thousand years ago it was sufficient it was sufficient for all who came before and all who will come after in dying he carried us with him he told the thief on the cross that day who identified with him today you will be with me in paradise that one death was for all people everywhere regardless of your race your age your belief he actually died for everyone. It is when you believe, it is when you identify, you now enter into it. And then scripture says, the life he lives. What kind of life is Jesus living? What kind of life did he commence upon resurrection? So interesting. What kind of life? The life he lives, he lives to God. It is everlasting life. It is a superior quality of life the life that he lives everlasting life so let's just say everlasting life a superior quality hallelujah of life and what does he do with this life he lives it to god amen so jesus the bridegroom the head of the body of christ lives his life to god interceding for the saints serving as high priest because everlasting life was not designed to be spent on your pleasures it is god's will it is god's intent that all who receive everlasting life will live it fulfilling the will of god just as Adam initially did before the fall, and just as Jesus does today. So you cannot say you are going to sin so that grace may abound. You're not living, you're not using your everlasting life. You're not spending it. You're not living it for God. 
that is leaving it on your own pleasure. The, you are you are saying you want to experience and enjoy the pleasure of receiving grace over and over again. That's not the way that God designed for you to live everlasting life. And then verse 11 now goes on to tell us something. It says, consider, you must, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when they are counting those who are dead to sin, count yourself. Just like Jesus, the death that you died, you died to sin. The life that you live now, you live to God. You are now participating in eternal life. Your reborn existence is to operate towards a lifestyle that pleases God. So you cannot intentionally be sinning so that grace may abound. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God only in Christ Jesus. So that statement in verse 11 is not about claiming a promise, it's about acting on facts. Whether you feel that way or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is the fact. Apostle Paul is not telling us that we should feel like we're dead to sin. He says, count yourself, reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. Okay? So let's affirm that together. The death I died, I died to sin. The life I live, I live to God. Hallelujah. Say that the death I died, I died to sin. The life I live, I live to God. Amen. So we're coming to the final part of our race this evening, which is Romans 6 12 to 14. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit. Amen. And remember now, so for the past 11 verses, we've seen um, Paul give us various instructions. So the first one was know. Knowing centered in your mind. And then we've just seen this instruction in verse 11, which was count, consider, reckon yourselves dead to sin. That focused on your heart. And now we come to his Third instruction, which touches your will and how you should spend your will. So, so let's go. Let's read. It says, let not sin therefore reign. Where? In your mortal body. Right? To make you obey. Obey what? Its passions. And then it says, do not present your members to sin as what? instruments amen or for unrighteousness but present yourselves to god to god as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to god as instruments for unrighteousness once again we see for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace amen so much so much to unpack here so the scripture says let not sin therefore reign reign here um that is don't submit to it don't let it rule over you as if it's a king someone that is reigning that is there in authority they're in a position of power and we had seen uh, a similar word which was dominion right so don't let sin reign over you as if it has dominion over you because jesus has dominion over sin and he has given you the power to keep sin at bay, okay? And where does sin want to reign? Sin wants to reign in your mortal body. 
hallelujah that is in this human body in the physical body in this casing of flesh that's the domain that sin wants to have dominion over so that it can then what ruin your place in the spiritual body of christ to which you have been reborn right because the death that sin brings is not necessarily about the cessation of life in your physical body it's a permanent separation from god from whom all life flows that's the death that that that, that is one that is after that's the death that is the reward that's the death that is the wages of sin it's not about death in your body so paul is saying don't give sin authority to determine what you do with your physical body because your physical body is already dying so don't give sin access it needs to use your physically dying body to bring death to your spiritual body okay so don't let it make you obey its passions remember i talked about all who are receiving instructions from the head of the body of sin who is satan and all who let sin in will be forced to follow its passions what are its passions we know we know it's its works sexual immorality idolatry theft greed drunkenness fraud yow yow slandering everything contrary to the fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 everything that god hates in proverbs 6 16 to 19 all of these things are the passions of sin and we must stand guard against them it says now how do we do so so paul's moving on how do we do so verse 13 it says do not present and presentation here is very, very, very interesting. Very interesting. It says, because presentation here, this, this word is very heavy word. Present, that is, do not yield. Okay? So, do not present your members to sin. Do not willingly bring something before a person and allow them to use it as they like. And I also like that the word present here it's also the same word for present as in a gift and present as in now in time currently not in the future so that word is pregnant with purpose okay so moving on moving on quickly it says your members to sin who are your members parts of yourself your members are your body your soul your spirit and even those three can still be broken down further into more molecular sizes a person is so much more than what meets the eye your body your hands can be broken down into your hands your feet your brain your ears your eyes your stomach your tongue especially your tongue these are your members and in the wrong hands they can be dangerous what instruments what is an instrument? An instrument is a tool, an equipment, a weapon, armor. It's preparatory ingredients for food that's been cooked. <laughs> food that's been cooked for who? For unrighteousness. Unrighteousness means injustice, corruption, iniquity, unjust activities, under which all of the passions of sin hereby apply. So now if you put all of these beautiful things together, what will you get? You will get, do not intentionally gift yourself at any current moment in time, any part of yourself to be used as a weapon of the enemy to inflict injustice and iniquity upon the earth. Do not intentionally gift, that is present. Do not intentionally yield. Do not intentionally give yourself to the enemy as a gift at any moment in time remember present in the present parts of yourself your members to be used as what instruments weapons of the enemy unrighteousness to inflict injustice and iniquity upon the earth 
And the NLT actually um, communicates the idea in this verse very well. It says, do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. And instead, Paul says we should actively focus on pursuing the opposite, which is present yourselves to God as one who has been brought from what? Death to life. That is, intentionally give yourself at what? Every moment in time, remember, in the present, all parts of yourself, your members, to be used as equipment, as tools, as weapons, as an ingredient in service of acts of righteousness that God is doing across the earth. And it's the same way that the priests of the Old Testament in Exodus 29:20 would consecrate their bodies to God. They would put the sacrificial blood on their ear, on their thumb, on their big toe, showing that all their members, all the parts of their body belonged to God and were to be used for his glory. Amen. So Paul's key point here is that it is not, in, it is not that you must take away yourself from the service of sin. That's not just enough. You must also enlist yourself in service of righteousness and not some parts of yourself. So it cannot be one leg in and one leg out. It has to be all of your members. Because from day one, you were intentionally designed for dominion on the earth. Remember Genesis 1. All your parts are weapons. All your parts are instruments. You have to ask yourself where you will use them. The Lord is after your body. Satan is also after your body. The believer's body is God's temple. Satan is after perverting that temple. The believer's body is God's tool and weapon upon the earth. God wants to use members of the body of Christ as tools for building his kingdom. And Satan also wants to use men's bodies to build the body of sin. Amen. So God may be cooking a blessing for someone today. And maybe God just needs your tongue to prophesy and bring it forth. Or your feet to ensure that the blessing gets to them. But instead you're sponsoring with that same tongue insults online via tweets or you're using your eyes to watch what you shouldn't watch food is always cooking acts of unrighteousness and righteousness are always going on whose table will you sit at whose table do you want to eat at in this one day god used david's hands to slay goliath in the cause of righteousness another day sin used david's eyes to look at bathsheba in unrighteousness and then graduated to using his hands to murder uriah her husband his close friend that's that's the contrast all your body all your members must always be yielded to god at every moment in time okay so we come to verse 14 and it says for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. Yes, I sit at God's table. I eat at God's table. Hallelujah. And we see we see that word here, will. There's a certainty there. Sin will not have dominion over you. Paul says anyone who obeys verse 13 will enjoy verse 14. And it doesn't say sin will not be present. Remember, muscle memory. But sin will not be present when we're resurrected in glory. But the promise for today is sin will have no dominion over this mortal body because Jesus has done a work in you to ensure that 
once you have been born into the reign of grace, you have power to keep sin at bay. So the one whom sin will not be able to dominate is the one who is under grace, the one who is presenting his body before God, knowing that he has been made alive in Christ and in Christ alone. And there's no rest from presenting yourself before God. There's no rest from receiving instructions from the head of the body of Christ. And you can only do this under the path of grace. If you try to do this under the law, you will wear out because we know that the law is limited. But what? Grace superabounds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I think this is a good place to wrap up because we'll see that verse 15 begins with another question. And I... I, my time is my time is fasting. So let's summarize. Let's summarize. So coming from chapter five, what do we see? Paul tells us that as members of Christ's race, we participate in the destiny of Christ. There are two races, right? One by Adam, one by Christ, one dominated by sin, one dominated, one characterized by righteousness. When we were born, we were all in the race of Adam. Through baptism, through identification, we enjoy unity with Christ. We become members of his race. And then we share in his destiny. Okay? So ask yourself where you want to be. And walk on the path of whoever you want to be your head. And remember, all of this, all of this that we saw today was to answer that question. Was to answer that question at the beginning. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means right? Believers cannot deliberately partake in sin for extended periods of time. Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John 3, 16. He says, whoever abides in him does not habitually sin. Whoever habitually sins has neither seen God nor known him because whoever is what? Born of God cannot, does not habitually sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot habitually sin because he has been born of God. Once you have been born of God, of God Jesus has done that great work in you. You have power to keep sin at bay. So as a true believer, you have a new relationship to sin because of your identification with Christ. You died to the old life. You were raised to enjoy a new life. You cannot be deliberately planning to go back to the old life any more than Lazarus planned to go back to the tomb. Okay? So the key takeaways, the key takeaways. Guard yourself against the passions of sin. Ensure that your every move is sponsoring the affairs of the body of Christ and not the body of sin. Always remember that a lifestyle of sin is unacceptable for all who are living in union with Christ Jesus. Our death to sin has changed our relationship to sin. You cannot sin with the intention to ask God for forgiveness. That drains the sincerity out of your repentance. You cannot be saying, I'm counting on God to be merciful and forgive me when I deliberately sin. You are offending God's grace. You are insulting Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So when the enemy comes to you and tells you, uh-uh, have now, sin that grace may abound. Sin, God will forgive you. You respond, the living don't stay amongst the dead. Tell the enemy that. The living do not stay amongst the dead. Nobody makes a graveyard their home. Nobody goes to live in a graveyard because they want to be reminding themselves that they are alive. They want to be seeing dead people and telling and reminding themselves they are alive. Nobody does that. So I urge you, as Apostle Paul did, do not return to the body of sin. You have already died to it. But grace does not remove the obligation to present your body as God's instrument for righteousness because doing so is the roadmap to victory over the flesh. And the flesh is muscle memory. So if you want to overcome muscle memory, 
Present your body to Christ. Present your body as God's instrument. Present your body to be used for acts of righteousness and build a new muscle memory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your word tonight. May it encourage the hearts of all who hear it. May they find strength to faithfully pursue all that they have heard tonight. May they find strength to faithfully follow these instructions and present their body, that they may gain victory over sin and walk in the blessings of everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you were truly blessed. I hope that you saw a new approach to Bible study that you can adopt for yourself. Good night. God bless you. Cheers. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.